because uh, not all see everything in here exactly alike, and so that certainly adds to the difficulty. And uh, some, and as in typical fashion too, the Bible doesn't always spell out every detail. Some people like to think it does, and uh, but I think one of the things we're going to see today is that that is not the case, and that's okay. Doesn't mean that the Bible is not sufficient. It, it lays out the principles we need to deal with everything in our life, but it doesn't always tell us in black and white what we are to do. And uh, that's where loving the Lord with all of our heart fills in the gaps. It takes care of us, and we can have differences in some cases. Today, I am going to do something I have never done in all my 25 plus years of ministry, and that is to uh, kind of deal with the subject to uh, kind of expand on a particular subject, and then I'm going to assume that it's going to create some uh, questions, and I'll give you some opportunity to ask you those and to discuss them. So it might it be a little bit different than what we have done, although I always give you opportunity to discuss. I think today it might be just a little different, but we'll see. Anyway, um, just to kind of fill us in and bring us up to this point, we have seen in chapter 7 that marriage is good and we should be able to control our bodies to the Lord's service so that we don't have to abstain from good things, which is kind of the premise that Paul has been working on. Those who say because of all the problems, sexual sins, it's better just not to engage in any of it to start with. And Paul says, well, no, it's a good gift of God. You know, that's not a good way to look at anything, I don't believe, in life. Singleness is good if the Lord calls and gifts such a one. There are times when that would be the case, but that would be the exception. Most people are not called to abstinence, which means most people should marry under normal circumstances. And again, those some circumstances that we have talked about would negate that. Christian couples are not to divorce, and if they find themselves in such a situation, they should seek reconciliation and not uh, marry someone else. And I would maybe add to that and not assume that this is how we gotta live the rest of our lives. You, you, you're off, you're struggling in a relationship, then before God, be honest enough to find help and seek to be reconciliated, um, or reconciled. And uh, don't marry somebody else because that would then be adultery and I think you'll see again that that would be the spouse in their own situation to be married. And I kind of throw in some of these things just to let you realize that there are principles here that we have to kind of think through. While we should only marry in the Lord, if we find ourselves married to an unbeliever, this is where we finished last week, we are to remain married if they are willing to not divorce them because they are just because they're lost. The marriage is proper before the Lord, and therefore, so are the children. So we do not have to think of that as, I'm married, all of a sudden now I am in fellowship with the unclean or darkness, and, and I've got to reject all that. No, marriage is marriage. And that is, would lead into what we would ordinarily be getting into. The, the title of the message is being content. And Paul is going to deal in verses 17 to 20, 24. With remaining in the situation in which you were converted. You don't have to change anything just because you got saved. And that is a principle that would allow him to, to talk about what we, 
this idea of if you get saved and now your partner does it, what do I do? And so, but I don't think we're probably going to get into any of that today. Instead, the really the message today is going to be on what I would term, and I'm not only going to term this, abandonment. Because uh, in a sense, this is what we have here in, the, in uh, what we finished with last week. If your unsaved spouse it no longer wants to be remain married to you, but instead leaves you, that is termed abandonment. And that would be an okay reason for divorce and remarriage. But that creates a whole other thing to think about, and, and that's what I want to deal with today. But to lead into that, I want to deal with verses 15 and 16, which they go with last week's message, as we just dealt with, but they also transition into the subject that Paul will address today, or at least that I'm going to address today. Paul addresses it, but I'm going to go into a little bit more detail is that in the end, we want to get to a place where there is peace, where everyone can get on with their lives through the glory of God, according to his word. We want to obey in all things, but one of the premises that's going to underline what I say today is that what, and I think this is what, what he's, when Paul says, um, if your unbelieving partner, in verse 15, separates, let it, be so, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. Marriage is given before the fall for our benefit. It is a good thing. The problem is, is that sin enters into the picture, and marriage, like any relationship, can really suffer. And marriage, though, is for the benefit of people, a man and a woman. Mar- the incident of the institution that a marriage is not the end of all things. People are. The condition of a person is. We want to, to when we deal with these subjects, a, 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 a pastor, the elders, are looking at this not only what does God say, because that obviously undergirds everything, but what is best for these people. And there are some instances where being together is not a good thing. And reconciliation is not something that's really going to happen. And I think that's kind of what Paul gets to. Don't force this issue. Don't don't fight them tooth and nail. They want to leave. It, you know, it's, it's not to say there's anything wrong with trying to save your marriage and, and working through that. But if they will have none of it, don't cause a problem. Don't cause. Don't don't create such a situation where there's all these bad ramifications. Just let them go, because at the end of the day, we want people need to prosper. People need to be able to be at peace with one another. Perhaps you've got children involved, and you don't want there to cause problems to the point that uh, there's irreparable harm, for instance. So that's one of the things that undergird all these things. Um. There's an overriding point behind all these scenarios, which is that at the, in the end, we want to get to a place where there is peace so that everybody can get on with their lives. So while we don't do whatever is quickest and easiest just to get these unpleasant things behind us, that is what's behind a lot of divorce and separation, is I don't want to do anything hard, I don't want to work through this, I just want to leave. I think the Bible is very clear that that is not how a Christian would uh, deal with these things. 
Um, especially with no thought of what the Bible teaches. Yet it, it seems clear that the Lord's purposes is not to cause lifelong problems for people who are trying to do the right thing. I think it's what's behind this idea of we are called to peace and that we're not enslaved in, in these cases. This is why most people see verse 15 as teaching that if one has divorce forced on them, then it is a third way that a marriage can biblically be dissolved. The first two being death, obviously, and adultery. And I would just say that there's a sense then in which there's only two reasons why a marriage would be dissolved, and that is death or abandonment. Because in one sense, adultery is abandonment. They have broken their marriage vows. They have uh, been with some, been unfaithful, and they have then caused they they have made this huge problem break in the relationship. And the Lord says that in that case, the other person is free to leave. And I would just kind of add to that that there are again a lot of this is going to be based on some things I've had to deal with, deal with even in my own. Family with my daughter, what do you know about that? And that is that Jesus does not say that adultery is, is a is the one exception for divorce. But if the person who has been unfaithful apologizes, that you have to take them back. Now, under ideal situations, you can work through that, and you, the marriage can continue. But there are those who. Because you have broken that confidence and they don't feel they can ever love you and trust you are free to leave. That you have done something that cannot be fixed in, in their situation. And there are those who say no if the other person oh, apologizes or repents, whatever that looks like, that you have no option but to stay with them. And, and uh, again, you, I don't think you can prove that with scripture. Say, well, what about what Paul says, uh, forgive 49, you know, 49 times 9 or whatever it is there over and over again. Yes. But adultery and unfaithfulness is on a whole nother level. We're not talking about just someone who you've offended somebody and brothers and sisters in Christ work it out. You have broken your marriage vows and you have, you have done some real harm here that some people can deal with and some people can't deal with. And that's something then that person who has on the, on the receiving end of this that has got to make that decision whether they will stay in the marriage or not. And again, some of these things I'm kind of stating them and we're going to move on. But these are why one of the things we see here is that not everything can be looked at in black and white answers. Is it, well, this every situation is the same answer. No. Every situation is that New, different nuances and situations that have to be thought through, and it is not an easy task. And the Bible just does not, and, I, and for, uh, for God's reasons, does not tell us every move to make in some of these situations. In verse 16, then we see that this, I believe, is the proper interpretation that if, if you're uh, if you are abandoned, then you are free to remarry. In this case, or in, uh, because Paul says that we don't have any idea whether staying with them or going was going to lead to their salvation or not. And so trying to force them to stay married and to live in conflict and bitterness and, and perhaps unfaithfulness isn't doing anyone any good. So we notice that he says, 
if they will stay with you, uh, then, then stay with them. But, in such cases where they leave you, you're not enslaved, because God has called us to peace. And again, follow the reasoning here. Or, so he says, it's okay to leave, it's okay for the marriage to be over. Or, how do you know, wife, whether you shall save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you save your wife? Because the, the feeling might be, well, I don't, because remember Peter, in First uh, Peter chapter 3, he said, why stay with your unbelieving husband? Because you might be able to lead him to the Lord. And that's a legitimate reason to stay. But why you stay with an unmarried, unsafe spouse? But Paul isn't saying that because that would kind of contradict everything he's, he's been saying here. He's saying you may leave because you don't know that staying with him is going to lead to salvation or not. And so, uh, again, we're not trying to cause a big conflict and, and, you know, scar the children and scar everybody. No, let them go. If God's going to save them, he's going to save them. And so I, I think that's what Paul, you know, makes perfect sense of what Paul is saying here in this case. Um, and so verse 15 is called divorce because of abandonment. That's kind of the way that some uh, people uh, deal with theologians, pastors, and different people who talk about these things, study these things, would refer to it. It's, it's abandonment. It's a, it's a form of abandonment, right? And so, but that can look, and that's kind of opens up this whole school of thought that abandonment can look different. And, and the reason I'm going through all these things is because, believe it or not, even in our little church, I would not be at all surprised if at some point we have to do it based on my experience, unfortunately, and what I've seen in other churches. It's just what happens. And hopefully, though, not. But you will have to, have to deal with this in your family or people you know. You're, this, these things are going to come about, and you need to have some idea, not to be taken by surprise, but to have thought through these things and have some idea of what, maybe a way to counsel them and help them work through this. Instead of just telling them, well, look, the only thing that matters is that you stay married. It doesn't matter what damage is done to you and your family. So, there are times when we have to step back and see what is good for the people involved. There's a school of thought that one can abandon a marriage in more ways than just divorcing or just leaving. Obviously, if someone just leaves and you don't hear from them, you don't know where they went, that would be a form of abandonment. But there are other ways to look at abandonment that I think that that happens, so we have to be able to do something with it and be prepared for these things. So the idea idea is that if one, and and by the way, I have talked to Jeff this week, Said, look, I'm going to deal with these issues. Here's what I'm, the kind of positions I'm going to take. And Jeff said he was on board, so I'm not, you know, your elders are in agreement with this. The idea is that if one is committing adultery, then obviously they are abandoning the marriage, as I've said. They have broken the covenant vows, and the marriage union is broken, and it's possible that it can be fixed. But it's possible that it might not be fixed. That's why I think Jesus gives the exception. Not everybody's able to deal with that kind of uh, uh, unfaithfulness. 
in the Lord I want. Where somebody has been unfaithful. And so the question arises then, what if a spouse doesn't leave or commit adultery, but is there other ways that we would have to say might be called abandonment? Such as, what if a man, and a lot of this could go both ways, I understand that, but let's just use some very practical examples. What if a man abuses his wife and children, he molests them, they're unsafe, there's damage, not just physically, but emotionally. What do you do with that? And some say, there's a school of thought that says, well, that is abandonment because they have ceased, refused to live in a way with that, in that marriage that is, uh, that, that, that is what God intended. Instead of living at peace and to be a husband, in this case, that cares for his family, he is abusing his family. He has, he refuses to live in a, in the way that a marriage is to be. It's some kind of perverse relationship. And that in that sense, a, the person has the right, and again, it's not that we don't, we just immediately give up, but sometimes it seems to be worth through. But that would be a case where we would say, you know, obviously you might separate for a time, but separation is never seen in the Bible as a permanent solution to anything. And there's reasons why that doesn't fit. But that in time, if, if things can't be fixed, that it's time, it will be an excuse for you to leave the marriage and divorce. And I think, and I'm taking the position that that is the case, that those, there are times when that is what I think has to be done, and I'll give you some examples here in a moment. So as I said, we don't find that the Bible ever dealing with separation in a permanent fashion. Now, if someone is in danger in a relationship, clearly we would want them out of that of a dangerous situation. But the question would be, is that okay to be a permanent situation? And I would say, no, that, that just creates another form of problems. Um, obviously, we would remove, as I said, someone from that situation. Uh, in some most cases, we probably would call the authorities. But the question is, do we tell a battered wife, and I'm, I'm sticking with this particular example, would we tell a battered wife or abused children that they must continue to live with him because all that matters is the institution of marriage and that divorce is wrong, he's the head of the home, so you've just got to fuck it up and get in there and do the best you can. And I would say absolutely not. But the problem is there are those who say yes? In the case with my daughter, there was a, there, there there was the feeling that was stated by some that a the man is the head of the home, the church can't interfere, and there, he's the wife can't leave him. Uh, he's the one who makes all his decisions, even though he has committed adultery and uh, other uh, emotional abuse and things like that. No, that you just. Because the idea is divorce is wrong under all circumstances, and uh, that's how that goes. And, and I'm sorry, but I don't think that you can prove that from Scripture. And you're, you see the problem that you're now telling them that what, whether you're at peace, whether you're safe, whether you're, uh, no matter what's going on, um, the only thing that really matters is the institution of marriage. And, and I think that creates a big problem. 
Uh, it's like Jesus told the Pharisees that they were criticizing him for fucking born on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was laid for man, not man for the Sabbath. The institution of the Sabbath isn't to be safeguarded at the cost of human life and, and safety and so forth, right? And that's, I think, the same kind of principle. Some would say, for instance, that, well, just remain separated until such time that things settle down or that he changes. Well, we all know how that goes. Um, there might be times where that's the case. Where, where a man truly makes a mistake that he changes. Again, the wife, the, the situations where wives can be very abusive and, and can do very similar things in, a, in what we would call abandonment. But we know that as a rule, those things don't change. Once you, a man, uh, would, 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 would feed his wife or his children, there, again, I, I think they have every right to assume that they will never be faithful to the man. And especially when it's an impeding thing, right? So, to, to sit there and say that, well, we'll just wait indefinitely, until something changes, it, again, I don't think you can, you can get that from Scripture. And we know what happens often in those cases that when they go back, it just gets worse. So again, is this biblical? We have all seen what happens when a wife decides to give a man another chance. And I'm not saying that it's always wrong, but it's something that has to be dealt with very carefully. Because such people, as a rule, do not change. And this has been played out, no doubt, since the beginning, at the fall. And we have to be realistic about these things. And again, I, I know it sounds like I'm picking on the man here, but let's face it, that, that it, it, you usually have those who suffer in a marriage and those who don't in this particular situation. So as I said, having witnessed some of this with my own daughter, I have had to face the fact that sometimes there are no simple answers, and that's primarily one of the points I'm making today, and that sometimes forcing the continuation of a marriage just isn't the best thing. Now, it might be the best thing for the man because, you know, he doesn't want to lose his cook and his maid. And believe me, I've seen that. But we're not, he's not the only one involved in the situation. As I was thinking through these things, in fact, and I woke up last Sunday night, Three o'clock, sometime in the middle of the night, and started going through all this. That's kind of where all this uh, arose, and then I started working on it through the week. So, I called my son, who is an elder. He's probably no doubt of Winston Salem, and uh, he's uh, about to turn forty, so he's got a few years on him. And I know that in, in a larger church, they've had to deal with some of these issues. So I called him up this week and said, "Okay, look, I'm going to deal with abandonment," and I explained to him the situation. I said. Have you guys had to deal with that? And, and I know of one of the situations in that happened in that church. It's an extended family member. And I knew about that. And he said, absolutely, we've had to deal with these things. We've, we've had spent hours uh, discussing these things because we've had to go through the same situation. A situation where a man was just emotionally causing so many problems for his wife and his children. And would refuse to let the church, the elders, uh, call him into question and try to work through these things. And eventually, the marriage ended. But that they they, they consider that to be a form of abandonment. So, 
I had I had to face the fact that the continuation of a marriage, and I have dealt with this for years, believe me. So I'm not just standing up here throwing you know, things off of my, off of my mind. The continuation of a marriage sometimes is not the best thing, but there has to be a biblical principle, obviously, behind it. Now there are some, you know, to be upfront, there are some who would oppose this vigorously. In some cases, the reason is because they are operating from the principle that there's nothing more important than not divorcing. And sometimes, some actually come at the point, since the husband's the head of the home, he has the final say no matter what is going on. And I reject that entirely. Of course, they put authority over his authority over the civil government and over the church. This is something I had to deal with in my own case with my own daughter, that the church... Uh, we were told that the church cannot interfere in this home. It's his domain, regardless of, of what he has done to his family, and regardless of the fact that, that, that the wife is asking us for help, we're told, no, you have, if he doesn't want you to help, you can't help, because that's not your sphere of authority. Well, again, I'm sorry, but he and his wife are members of the church, so they are under a, an accountability to that church. Just like if there's abuse going on, the civil government, which I, as a rule, would say never has no authority in the home, except when there is a crime going on, when there is uh, people being hurt, then we absolutely would expect the civil government to intervene. Just like when there are spiritual problems, the church would intervene, especially when we are asked to intervene. So we got to be very careful that God has given us different spheres of authority. Home life, uh, church life, civil life, and uh, ideally those things can all stay separate, but they sometimes it, they mesh, they come together, and we can't. Uh, in other words, the, the, the thing coming from uh, this is that a man is king of the home, and nobody has the right to tell him what to do in that home. Well, God does. So what do you do with that, right? And if God does, that gives the church the right to come in and to proclaim the truth and to call him into accountability, right? So nobody, I don't care if you're at work, at home, wherever you are, you are not your own, you can borrow the price. Uh, we all have, are accountable in some ways to different uh, levels of authority, whether it be home life, whether it be civil government, whether it be church. Nobody is an island. No man can say that nobody can tell me what to do. And, and I'm sorry if that's how you were raised, because there are some people that can tell you what to do legitimately and should tell you what to do. There, we live by laws. We are, used to be, a nation of laws. Now it has been said we are a nation of people, because now everybody does what's right in their own eyes, and nobody is to be told what they can do, right? You see what happens at the anarchy. And we don't want anarchy in the home or in the church. So I believe this expansion of abandonment, this idea that if abandonment isn't just physically leaving or divorce, divorcing has merit, merit, because as I said, we've been called to peace. And we aren't going to force a marriage at the expense of someone's safety and even their emotional safety, even if there's a point where it's Clear in, a, in the instance I was telling you about in my son's church, even the children did not feel safe in the home. The man had never 
physical abuse of his wife or children. But even his children testified to the elders that um, they did not feel safe. That, 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 that what was going on here was not good. Right? Now, having said all that, it should be obvious that that could be a slippery slope. This idea of abandonment. Um, because what constitutes abuse? It's easy if someone's being obviously harmed, but if somebody wants out of a marriage and they say, well, I'm being abused, I'm being abused emotionally, well, maybe you are, maybe you're not. In other words, you can see it can be a slippery slope, and it takes dedicated investigation. It takes time. Is this someone trying to get out of a marriage, or is this someone who has a who wants it to be in a good marriage, wants to obey the Lord, but is being put in a possible situation? You see. So it's not always easy to ascertain, but that doesn't mean that well, this people can take advantage of that. So we're not going to do it because now you're left with only one alternative, right? So just because something is hard, it's not easy. Doesn't mean that it's not the right thing to do. That we have to just abandon everybody who, who's been abused because, well, we don't want to be taken advantage of, right? They'll be judged. The, the person who wants to get out of a marriage for unbiblical reasons, for selfish reasons, God will take care of them. But I think it's right for a Christian to let's do the same thing. And if, and if we get lied to, we get taken advantage of, well, so be it. God will take care of them, right? So what would happen, what would have to happen is that the elders, and, and we're talking to Jeff about this, in our church since it's smaller, we would perhaps point some to help us, some others that we felt would be able to add insight as we investigate what's going on. It might include women, because I don't think it hurts to have a woman's point of view in some of this. And believe me, after the years that I've had to deal with this, I... My default position is to always come to the woman's side of this anyway, but I know that you can't do that as well. But we would, whatever, it would, a, the elders or the, uh, those involved would uh, investigate. This would have to happen, uh, you know, in, in any uh, instance anyway. But I, what I hope you begin to see is that sometimes there are just no easy answers and if it means serious discussion and investigation and it's hard and it's difficult and believe me, you don't want, there's nothing worse than having to deal with marital problems. There's just nothing worse. Or very few things worse. But if you love somebody, you want to, you want to help them. You don't want to see them living in that situation. And you're saying, Lord, I will do whatever is necessary, whatever I can. And certainly elders would think that whatever I can to bring peace to this home and to bring reconciliation one way or another, I'm going to do it even though I don't want to get out and have to deal with this tonight, right? Because that's we love people. <clears throat> so, again, there's not easy answers and, there, and it would cause, and it can cause a lot of you know years of investigation in some cases, but so be it. Because we will not be guilty of letting someone remain in an abusive and dangerous situation simply because it's uh, inconvenient 
or because, well, all that really matters is that the marriage is saved. Because this is the point. People living together in strife and in harm and in fighting is not a marriage saved. That's a sham of a marriage. And so saving the marriage, that's, again, one of the things I had to face in New York was the father of uh, my son-in-law saying that uh, he's perfectly happy, of course, my son-in-law too, perfectly happy to have a sham of a marriage. Just don't divorce. Well, no. I mean, neither one of those are good, but no. That's not a, a good option. We cannot put the institution of marriage above the soul and the physical safety of people. So those who say, well, just let them work it out. It's not our place to interfere. Well, there might be times where that's the case. So, but if, like I say, if someone is in physical danger, you could come to their aid whether they ask if they're not right. So yes, there are times when it's okay to interfere. And when we're asked by a wife, for example, for help, then it becomes our place to interfere. And all this why it's necessary to realize if you think, I, was talking, I was talking to my son and he made this point that I thought was a good point. What, what, what you begin to see as you have to deal with these situations is how important the local church is, how important accountability is with each other, how important it is to have a good, healthy respect for your elders and be willing to commit to your elders because um, this is the God-appointed way for these things to be worked out. And if you won't let them in, and which is the case with he dealt with, but the husband refused to listen to anything the elders had to say over a number of months, and if not years, well, he paid the price for them. So what we are doing, among other things, is a, offering a place for aid and a place where we can talk, where we can take the responsibility in some cases, and this is a good point, this is a point that my son was making that uh, I, I fully agree with. He said what happened was the after dealing with this man for a year or two, and he rejected all calls for repentance, for help, and the situation became just an unbearable mess, the elders came to the decision after the investigation where they told the woman, if you feel like this is something that you cannot no longer stay in, you've got to leave, we would counsel you that it's okay for you to leave him without blessing. We believe this is a situation of family. Now what this does is, again, it gives her the peace of mind to say, look, you know, because no matter, if you do something like this, you're always going to have doubts, right? Should have I have left? Should have I have divorced? Or, you know, we're always going to Now, the elders have said, we feel like this is a situation where if that's what you feel like you need to do, you can do it with our blessing. Now, when she has doubts, she can, before the Lord, say, Lord, you know, I, I struggled with what to do. I did not know what to do. But my elders, who I'm accountable to, gave me their blessing. And she was told then by the elder board, okay, now we are taking the responsibility for this before God. We've counseled you. You can go in peace. You've done the right thing. And if it's wrong, we're taking the brunt of the responsibility for this because we have told you it was okay. 
they do this. And that gives her some peace or, you know, whoever the situation might be. And I think that's a proper thing to do. To say, Lord, I, I did the best I can and I followed the lead of my elders in this case. And so, um, my conscience is clear and it should be clear. But you can see the difficulty in some of these things. So, I'm just about done here. I'm going to open up for any questions. But one thing I've noticed is that one's view of all this has sometimes been determined by whose side of the problem they are. And this is something we've got to be very really careful about. Because if it's your child, for instance, who has cheated or has abused, and you, it is wrong and it's sinful for you to take their side uh, because they're your son. And so we got to be careful that we are going at this from what is the Bible say, what does the Lord tell us here, and we got to do the right thing. And I would just, and I and I saw this again with my uh, son-in-law's parents. Uh, eventually, as soon as he said that uh, he was sorry, uh, it, it, for as far as they're concerned, it was all to be it was all forgotten and over. With. She should move right back in, and it was all done because he had said he was sorry. Well. What I would like to say to someone like that is, well, when it's your daughter who has been abused, when it is your child who has been cheated on, let's see how you feel about it. That doesn't give me the excuse to go beyond what the Bible says, but it is wrong to take a side. It doesn't mean you have to stop loving them, but it is wrong to take a side merely because of my child. And we see that with you know, people whose child have come out as uh, gay, and all of a sudden they're okay with homosexuality. Well, no, I'm sorry. The Bible is always got to be uh, our final authority. And so, um, I've noted some things I think you need to help us in all this. As I said, I had to deal with this to some degree, and I've spent hours and months and years dealing with these things. I have just to kind of at the stage here a little bit. I, I'm pretty sure in my four and a half, going on five years now having been here, I have not broken down and been un- unable to preach for the pulpit. In New York, that had happened to us at least twice where I had, I broke down because the things that were going on in our lives were horrific. I wouldn't wish on anybody. I've spent a lot of time having to deal with these things and talking to other guys, reading books, having to work through these issues. They're not, there's no easy answers in some cases and those are some of the things that we have to deal with. None of it was what I would have chosen, but we cannot abandon people because it is unpleasant to deal with the situation. And I am not laying down any fast rules in some of these things. I realize that it, it's a slippery slope. It, people can take advantage of it, but we have to do something. We've got to help people the best we can in marriages and relationships. Even if we don't always agree on every situation. Because the Bible doesn't address every situation, but it gives us principles that address every situation. So, that's my idea of abandonment. And, and I'm not alone. I, mean, that's, I think there's a lot of people at church have had to work through these things. But if there are any questions, uh, maybe something you want to add to that, 
um, it wasn't even maybe even that's all good. Now's your chance to perhaps.